Our second reading is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is rec was reconciling the world to God, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making God's appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Friends, will you pray with me? Gracious, loving God, be with us now as we encounter your word, a living word for all. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, as you are most likely aware from my children's moments, I love to celebrate and I love finding reasons to celebrate. <laughs> There's always something in our living life to celebrate. This week, we look towards the end of the church calendar year, holding on to hope and expectation that will carry us into the Advent season and soon into 2022. Whew. We're wading into the part of the year where it's so easy for our eyes to gloss over in the busyness of gathering and celebrating and remembering and grieving, looking to what new song might be coming next. In our worshiping life, we pause to remember and commemorate what has traditionally at least traditionally in the last hundred years or so, what has been known as Christ the King Sunday, or as some folks have begun to call it, the reign of Christ. The feast of Christ the King originates with Pope Pius XI in 1925. And some scholars argue that it was established as a counter-Protestant Reformation feast that was celebrated on the last Sunday in October which was then moved to the last Sunday of the ecclesiastical calendar by Pope Paul VI in 1969. With so much to rejoice in this week in worship, I really had a hard time processing this Christ the King imagery. What does it have to say to us now? What does it have to say to our own community? How might this help us understand God's sovereignty? 
there are abundant images and examples of uh, both God and Christ as king in both our scriptures and in our traditions, songs and hymns. But I'm mindful and curious of the ways that this image might miss the mark in proclaiming the alternative ways that God and Christ rule. So to wrestle with this, I've had to employ a good bit of question asking. And I've had two questions that have helped me wrestle with this, uh, this image this week. The first is a question that we ask in Godly Play. One of the ways that our young folks here at First Pres get to learn our traditions stories. After a story has been told in class, questions are, a series of questions are asked that help us begin working with our story. The one that stuck out to me this week was this. I wonder if there is any part of our story that we could leave out and still have the story that we need. I have found it ironic that all of all the metaphors and images we have in our tradition of looking to both God and Christ, teacher, healer, helper, friend, servant, radical, fisher, we've decided to single out Christ as king to help us mark the end of the church calendar. Now, it certainly helps us to hold on to this understanding of God being the alpha and the omega, beginning and end, and we understand that Christ rules like no other kings because the reign of shalom that Christ brings and is bringing into the world is for all. While kingship can evoke strength, longevity, and authority, it can also evoke abuses of power, servitude, and slavery. So, is this king imagery absolutely necessary for the story that we need? Can we maintain God's sovereignty without it? On Wednesdays this semester, I've been taking a class with the chaplaincy folk across the street titled Dismantling Systems of Oppression in Pastoral Care. It is a doozy of a class, but my gosh, has it been so good. Reverend Lori Garrett Cabina remarked, uh, as this question kind of bubbled up in class earlier this month, that it reminded her of the story in, from our Hebrew scriptures where God is doing a new thing with the Israelites and Samuel, and all the people want is a king. We are grateful to inherit this imagery from the ancient communities of which we are tethered to. But biblical scholar Jamie L. Waters warns us, we should recognize that certain images have the ability to be misused and might not be the best representation of God. So while holding on to this question and holding it up to our scriptures this week, 
I wonder how wrestling with this king metaphor, this king image, might be a part of this new song that the psalmist calls us to sing. How is it that the psalmist connects God's sovereignty with the new song that we are called and invited to be a part of? The psalmist holds these two very different ideas together. I've been so so puzzled, so flummoxed as as to how. What I think threads God's sovereignty into this new song is how the psalmist describes who and what is singing. It's not just some of us. It is all of us. That is how the the psalmist describes just how loud and big this new song will be. God's sovereignty is so full of love and justice that all of creation will be singing. The heavens, the seas, even the trees will sing of God's redeeming justice. If there's this new song to be sung, What's the issue with the old one? Why do we need a new song? What might be the issue with the song we've been singing thus far? Could it be that the old song reeks of patriarchy? Could it be that the song that we've been singing is a song of supremacy? of abuse of power, of hatred, dominance, and control, of might is right. Can you imagine singing that song with glad and generous hearts? No, 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 no. The psalmist tells us that this new song is one of greatness, of grandeur, of strength and beauty, of presence, of love and hope, of cajoling praise, of establishing justice. And it is Paul that reminds us that in Christ, the old things are passing away and that everything and everyone is becoming new. Indeed, perhaps this new song is the song of Christ's reigning shalom. And in Christ, we are invited to be a part of it. The psalm does not ask its listeners to wait passively for the establishment of justice on earth. The series of imperatives sprinkled throughout the psalm remind us to also act, to sing, to bless, to tell, to declare. These imperatives, all in plural, demand that everyone act, that everyone participate. And the inclusion of all throughout the psalm, all the peoples, all the families, nations, and indeed the very heavens, seas, fields, and trees, reminds listeners of how bound together creation is. Together, the psalmist says, hope, 
even in the face of misery. Celebrate, but together, too. Work. As we continue into our church's annual giving campaign this month, we have the opportunity to participate in singing this new song with glad and generous hearts. As we continue to imagine and settle into our hybrid space, our hybrid worship space of gathering both online and in person, our sharing of time and resources gives us the continued opportunity to ensure that all are invited and welcome and part of this new thing that Christ is doing. Finding our part in this new song, I think, requires asking questions. Children's author Kate DiCamillo recalls an encounter during a book signing a fifth grader brought up his copy of her book, The Tale of Despero, a beautiful story of some royal mice leaning into this hope and love, and ugh, it's a good one. As she was getting ready to sign his book, the student said this. My teacher said that fifth grade is the year of asking questions. Really, Kate remarked. Yeah, he said. And he brought out a notebook. <clears throat> Every day, we're supposed to ask someone different a good question and listen really good and then write down the answer when they're done talking. Oh, he said. I get it. I'm someone different. Okay, what's your question? My question is, is how do you get so much hope into all of your stories? That's not a good question, Kate said. That's a great question. Let me think. Hmm. I guess, she says, that writing the story is an act of hope. And so even when I don't feel hopeful, writing the story can lead me to hope. Does that make sense? Yeah, he said. He looked her in the eye. It's kind of a long answer, but I think I can write it all out. So he picked up his tale of Despero, his copy, and walked away, writing in his notebook. As we end the liturgical year, our celebration of the reign of Christ is an opportunity for us to think about the ways that we promote God's sovereignty in the world. And as we prepare to begin Advent and celebrate Christ's birth, we should reflect on what we have been doing to sing our part in Christ's new song that sings of loving God and loving neighbor. Perhaps it is a time for us to start asking good questions 
a time to write down the answer and a time to listen to each other really 